Thanks, Hugh. That sounded great. Amen? Well, I believe that you're here on a very special night. I know I'm excited to be here. always am excited to be here in this place with my church family, but especially because of our guest tonight. It's sort of a, a kickoff, I think, to our time of missions emphasis. We have missions conference coming up here in a few weeks in March, and in between then we'll be hearing uh, about the trips to Guatemala and Tanzania and what the Lord's been doing all around the world through this church and congregations all over the place. Uh, the theme this year for the mission conference is simply all. Uh, we have all fallen short, everyone in the world. And uh, every person in the world, all of them, need Jesus Christ as Savior. God loved the world, all the world. And Jesus Christ died to pay for the sins of all who would call on his name and accept him as a savior. And we are to go into all the world. And all of us are to be praying and all of us are to be following God's commission to share the gospel to all the world. And our guest tonight, Jerry Donovan, is going to a place in China, included in that all. Uh, much more difficult to share the gospel than it is here in Bologna. In fact, there's a specific people group that he's going to be sharing with us tonight that, that's extremely difficult to reach because evidently no one else is really doing it. And he'll kind of clarify that. Uh, but they're certainly included in the all. And uh, he has answered the call to, to go there. And uh, we as a church have been supporting and partnering with his ministry for over 10 years. We, we're thinking maybe upwards of 13 years ever since he started Deputation. He is with BBFI, and uh, he also, uh, he'll tell you, has been approved to operate a 501c3, which uh, helps him get around some of the local bureaucracy in doing the mission that God's called him to. He'll fill you in more on that. But as I call Brother Jerry to the stage, you muck and feel welcome, please. Thanks, James. You know you're getting a little bit older when you uh, run up the stairs and you decide, oh, I better slow down, not run, <laughs> walk up the stairs a little bit. It's good to be with you folks this evening. You've been standing with us and behind our ministry since the very beginning. Um, back in 2001, we really knew in our hearts that God wanted us to go reach some of the unreached people in the world today. And you know, one of the amazing things is that there are still people, they changed some of the classification now. They used to just refer to them as UPGs. Now we have a classification called UUPGs. Everything's got to have a, you know, a, a little letters. I guess it keeps us from having to say all these things all the time. But a UUPG is an unreached and unengaged people group. So that means that not only have... Because when they classify a group as unreached, an unreached people group is one that either there are not enough believers or their faith is not strong enough, or they haven't really established enough churches to be able to spread. So there may be some believers there, but there's just no strength among the work of uh, Christianity among that group of people. So they're still considered unreached, but they may have been engaged by a missionary that started to work with them, but they haven't gotten to the point of being, okay, they can kind of take this and run with it, which, you know, it, it may seem a little bit strange, some of the countries and different works that have been going on for so many years. Our goal is to work ourselves out of a job. We want them to know how to share the gospel. And honestly, they're going to be much more effective than what we ever will be. 
But there will be work going on there for quite a few years. Um, The most important message that I have to share with you this evening is thank you. Thank you for your ongoing support. Thank you for that support in prayers and in finances. Honestly, it's not our work. It is God's work. Uh, He allows us in a partnership to join him in that work and watch some amazing things uh, to occur. So the group of people that we've been working with in southwest China for the whole time that we've been there uh, is called the Ashi people. It's spelled A-X-I. And um, we have seen over 100 come to faith, whereas when we went in 2002, we still haven't found a single person who is a believer uh, in 2002. And not everyone who has come to faith has been a direct result of our, of our ministry there. Um, some of the Chinese believers who are of the majority people have been doing some work, um, not necessarily focused on them, but they've just been a few of them here and there that have come to faith. Uh, we could tell some amazing stories about how the Ashi people are transitioning from their faith being uh, based on and and uh, communicated in the Chinese language to beginning to communicate and understand and know how to talk about their faith in their own language. The Ashi people speak a different language from Chinese. They, um, uh, there is no written form to their language. So there is, hence, no Ashi Bible. Um, but those things are changing. God's doing some really neat things as we've come alongside them, as we have some translator friends who are working there in country. They've started the very long and tedious process of beginning the work of translating the Bible into Ashi language. We're so excited about these things because it means that God has his hand there and he's doing something amazing and we get to be right in the thick of things and watch it all happen. And so uh, we're just so thankful for you, thankful for the partnership. And uh, I just want to share with you a little bit more about what's going on so that you'll be able to pray better for us. And then I have a few things from the Word of God I'd like to share with you as well. Um, As uh, James mentioned, we have not just our ministry as Baptist Bible Fellowship missionaries, but we also started a 501c3 that we call Greenhouse for Hope. It was based on the concept that God gave to us, uh, beginning with a young Ashi couple We knew of no Ashi believers at all at that time. And so Tim and Grace, this Ashi couple, came and lived with us next to our home, close to us. And we spent time with them every day. They worked for us. And over a period of time, they came to faith. They grew in their faith sufficiently to where they had a desire to go back to their village that they came from. And there they started sharing the gospel. Within a very short amount of time, there were um, over 100 believers, 60 of whom were baptized. And we just thanked God for that. And we thought, okay, God has kind of taught us something. And it's kind of like a greenhouse. You take a seed and you plant it in a safe environment and protect it so there's good growth. And then you transplant it in the location where it needs to flourish and grow long term. Well, that's what happened with Tim and Grace. The seeds of the gospel were planted with them. They grew. They understood what it meant. And then they went back to what we did not realize at the time was a quite hostile environment back in their village. But still, several people came to faith. Now, what has happened since then is in their village, there's been kind of a tapering off because of persecution among their people and their culture. They've started to not attend church as much. And so there are times when they have less than 10 people that attend church in their village. So we're working with things to try to help them overcome the persecution and things that are going on. We're helping them work on things that will allow them to stand strong in those situations where they get the most persecution. And uh, God is doing some good things there. Tim and Grace didn't get an awful lot of training before they went back. And so one of the things that we're working on in our Greenhouse for Hope concept is more training. So what we envisioned was a place where we could live in close proximity to the Ashi people that we're reaching 
those who have proven themselves to be faithful and committed to serving God, we want them to go through a Bible curriculum. We have a Bible Institute that's about 10 courses. We have three students who are in the Bible Institute right now. Uh, Two of them are people that Tim led to the Lord who have actually led services out in his village, but they need more training. So Jeremiah and Sam are both in this Bible Institute. Right now, the real challenge is they can only meet twice a week. They, we have to meet on Monday nights late, like 8 o'clock at night until 10. And then we meet on Friday morning from 6 to 8. And that's the only time that their schedules will allow us to meet. So we're trying to move that ahead and defeat that obstacle of time with allowing them to come and work in a business we're starting. And in that, they will have more opportunity to study. I want to talk more about that in just a second. But to kind of introduce what we're doing, the next step in Greenhouse for Hope, I want to show a short video that talks about Greenhouse Coffee Company. And why don't you watch this for just a minute. I know a church like this church is involved in a lot of missions projects around the world and more than likely you're helping with a, with a ministry somewhere that involves coffee house ministry. And it's a, it's a great tool in a lot of countries, but most ministries use the coffee house as a place to meet people, to start spiritual conversations, to see people come to faith. We're taking that model and we're turning it around a little bit in that we are taking these people that we want to train for ministry, people that have already shown themselves committed, Sam and Jeremiah and another young lady named Lydia who are already involved in Bible Institute and they're every time they are there studying. Um, We're making them the employees of the coffee house. I had someone ask me this morning, I thought they drank tea in China. Do they drink coffee there? Well, they do drink lots of tea, much more tea than they do coffee. But the coffee culture is starting to grow. Um, The... When we, when we went to the capital city of the province where we are, uh, Kunming, uh, in 2002, very little coffee things going on. You could find it in a couple different places run by foreigners. Well, Starbucks came in, and now we have over 15 Starbucks locations in our city. So, yeah, the, the coffee culture is growing. Um, we don't anticipate and we really don't want the coffee house to become huge with lots of people there. Because our goal is for our employees to have time to study. And we intend for there to be free times when we can take an afternoon or a morning and go out to some of the villages where the Ashi people live. And then do evangelistic work, 
to do Bible studies with them in those locations, um, to actually do the work that will be the things that will eventually result in churches being planted in those locations. So we, um, that is the business component that we've had all along for Greenhouse for Hope. We've been looking for how this will work, and this seems to be what God has opened up for us. So what we're doing is we have uh, written up a business plan for two years that will allow us to run the coffee house for two years and see how sustainable it is and see how this ministry model works. If it works as we believe it will, then after two years we're going to look to try to buy a location and it will be expensive because it will be commercial property. We're not going to buy the best location we can because that would be too expensive. But what we anticipate at that time, um, if we continue to sense God's leading that way, it will take about three hundred fifty dollars to $500,000 to buy that location. And we can finish it out and we can use it as an ongoing place where we keep the expenses low so we don't have to do an extreme amount of business. So we're not spending all of our time advertising and following what would be what you would consider a good business model. Instead, we're following a bad business model so that we can have a place where we can work on training the Ashi people that we want to, to train. So God's doing some really neat things with the ministry there. Um, people are coming to faith. Uh, I was looking at the video, and every time I see it, I'm reminded of some of the people in there. There's actually one scene from when Lydia went with us to a village, because she does have time to go with us to do some of the evangelistic work. We went to a village um, about three or four months ago, probably about five months ago now. We went out to a village of some family members, uh, uh, Lydia's family members. Uh, There were some people there who had received Christ. There was one man who had been, actually, he clearly had been possessed by demons, he was trying to harm himself. They had taken him to a mental hospital. He was hearing voices, no peace, no rest. Um, and then he came to Lydia's family's home. They're all believers now. One of the, I think they're the only Ashi family I know that where they're all believers. And uh, came into the home and immediately this man said, there's something different about this place. There's a peace that I feel here. What is it? And so they shared the gospel with him. He received Christ. In the video, he's one of the guys in a little church meeting where we went out to his village Um, we had church because they have no one to lead church out there, but because of the training that Lydia has had, she was able to lead them in a meeting, all in the Ashi language. Even though there's not a Bible, she's opening up her Chinese Bible, sight translating and teaching them in the Ashi language, teaching them about sin, about the sin from the Garden of Eden, how everyone's a sinner, and uh, what we refer to there typically as original sin. And so she's teaching, helping them understand, and then two more people decided they wanted to receive Christ as their Savior that day. So we honestly believe we get out to those places by controlling their time that we'll see a lot more evangelism take place and we'll see as a result more people who need to study and learn from the word of God. So we're just thankful for your partnership with us. We're thankful that the Lord is doing a great work and we anticipate great things for the future. One of the things that we had envisioned about how this might take place and how it might grow involved um, uh, a couple that we had for, let's see, it was 2014 was last year. Uh, It was about the the Christmas of 2012 through all of 2013. We spent time with, uh, we had a couple that was living in our home from a particular village that we had targeted as a key Ashi village. Um, The name of that village, and I don't know if some of you have followed some of our uh, communications that we send out. It's a place that we refer to sometimes as, as Phoenix X. The name of the village is Feng Huang, and Feng Huang village is an Ashi village, and Feng Huang means phoenix, the little flying bird phoenix, so, um, or maybe a big flying bird phoenix. And so um, they um, lived in that village, and we had spent a lot of time. We'd been out there on many occasions. One of our very first trips into 
villages where Ashi people live, we went to uh, uh, Feng Huang village. Um, we felt like God was really opening some doors. But what we found out was this is a village that apparently the enemy has a very, str- a very uh, tight grip on. It's an it's a enemy's stronghold. And we didn't realize it. We've done all kinds of things. We shared with the first person that we met out there, and he still hasn't come to faith. Uh, he's remained a good friend and a contact, and he talks about God, but he hasn't determined to follow Christ. Um, and he introduced us to this couple because we thought, if we could do the same thing that we did with Tim and Grace, bring a couple here, and they can be, actually live in our house, and uh, we can study the Bible with them, then maybe they'll come to faith. So within just a couple of months after they arrived in our house and started uh, living there and working in our home and doing some errands and jobs and different kinds of work for us, um, Phil and Debbie. Do we have a picture of Phil and Debbie? I don't know if you can put that up. Yeah, there's Phil and Debbie. They came. There's a Christmas tree in the background. We love to celebrate Christmas there. So they wanted to get their picture in front of the Christmas tree. Um, Phil and Debbie came and lived in our house. They worked for us. We started studying the Bible every day. Uh, There's a set of material that's 52 lessons that some churches use as Sunday school material. That's just a foundational thing, especially used in countries. It was designed for countries where they don't have a good concept of one God. And so what we do is we take them through creation and what creation's about and that God's plan for a redeemer, the redeemer would come and through all kinds of Old Testament stories, bring them to the point of Jesus, who he is, who he was the redeemer that was promised, that he died on the cross, that was God's plan so that he would pay for our sin. And if we put our faith and trust in him, then we have eternal life. We can be redeemed. And so they understood all of those concepts and, and they knew what it was about But after more than a year in our home and studying the Bible every day, and as the curricula led to the point to where I could talk to them and say, okay, are you, what do you think about this? Are you, are you thinking that you should trust Christ as your savior? And yeah, I think we should, but we can't do that right now, or we're not ready right now, or we have to ask our parents. That's a kind of a strange thing. They're not that old, but it's a, it's a cultural thing, getting agreement within the family. And so after many excuses and after multiple requests, there were many times when I would go multiple days on end and after our study again ask them, and every time they refused. And so instead of pressuring, well, I guess it's pressuring just to ask, I suppose, but after a while, they came to the determination that for now, I haven't given up on them, for now, they have chosen not to receive Christ. What happened in my mind was what went wrong. How could this happen? How could we have such a good plan and the whole thing fall apart? Why is it that they would hear the message of truth and agree that it's truth, but not choose to receive it? And honestly, about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago, I was distraught. I thought, God, what's going on? I'm not sure what has happened here, and I don't understand why. And we had seen other people come to faith, but I thought, surely this couple will. And they understand, they probably understand the message of salvation better than 90% of Chinese people. Yet they did not, they chose not to receive. Then I looked at a passage of scripture that changed my understanding. And I would like to share some of that with you this evening. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You have your copy of the scriptures there. I have a couple verses I want to put up there. But if you have your copy, what I'd like to look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. 
And then we'll, we can put up, to, uh, if you want to go back to that scripture, we have just a couple of verses there. They'll see that when we get to it. If you want to follow along with me, let's look at that passage of scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He's talking about the ministry that he has. And in previous uh, chapters, he's talking especially about sharing with the nation of Israel and them not being able to receive the message of the gospel, even though they have the concept of God throughout their culture. Why is it they couldn't see it? Why did they not understand? And he, he explains a little bit of that in chapter 3, but there in, ver, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And then he defends his ministry a little bit to them. He says, But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. He's talking about the things that he didn't do. He wasn't dishonest, and he wasn't crafty with how he handled the word, and he wasn't deceitful of how he used the word of God to try to communicate things that were not necessarily in the text. We see that every once in a while, don't we, at, time, at times? He says, but, verse 2 still, but by manifestation of the truth, by showing forth the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, He says in verse 3, this is getting down to what I want you to see this evening, but if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom, these lost people, is talking about them, those who have not received Christ as Savior, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He continues on about his ministry in verse 5. He says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There's a couple things that I want us to look at in this passage of Scripture. It's really kind of interesting if you look at verses, especially focusing on verses 3 and 4. Verse 4 tells us that those who have not chosen, like Phil and Debbie, to receive the message of truth, people that we shared our lives with, perhaps people that you have at school or at work or in your family have shared the message of the gospel with over and over again, the reason they don't believe is because their minds are blinded. Their minds are blinded. It, it, it reminds me of um, a, a passage in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and they said, that just doesn't make sense, and they treat it as if it's foolishness to them? Okay, this explains it for us. He cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned. The way that we understand things about the truth of God's word is because of the spirit of God living in us. In essence, the light that has shined in our hearts helps us understand those truths and they cannot be discerned by those who do not have the spirit of God indwelling them, those who have not received Christ as their savior. Okay? So the first thing we see that is the reason why Phil and Debbie did not receive Christ is because their minds were blinded. They understood that it was true. They knew what I was saying They could recognize the value of it, but they couldn't receive it because their minds were blinded. 
The second thing, it says that in, in verse 4, it also says to this, the second point that's important for us to understand is that it's the God of this world or it's Satan who blinds them. Okay? It is, we have an enemy. We're at war. And our enemy, who is Satan, he deliberately takes people captive. And just like we would take a captive and blindfold them, that's what he does. He takes them captive and he blinds their minds so they cannot see, they cannot understand the truth of the gospel. And I think about it as just like a blindfold. And you take that blindfold and you put it over your eyes. And when you've got your eyes covered with a blindfold, you can't see. You can't understand what's going on. There are things that are happening around you that you don't even comprehend. You can't grasp the things that are happening. Why? Because you're blinded. That's what happens in captivity. The people that you share with that just don't seem to be able to receive Christ, they got a blindfold on. They've been taken captive. They're shoved in a dark room of sin, and they just don't get it. They don't see it. Now, the third thing that I want you to see as we think about, okay, so what, what happens? How do, how do we get past that? And it says very simply, it says that God shines in the hearts of those who believe. It's the enemy who blinds, but the enemy is never going to take their blindfold off. He's got it on their heads and he's got it tied on there and he will not take it off. It is the Savior who shines light into their hearts and takes away the darkness that comes from the blindfold and lets them see. Being so distraught by this and continuing to pray about it, when I realized what was really going on, then I realized that I was never going to fully comprehend exactly why the timing was not the timing that I had in mind, outside of the fact that he is not willing that any should perish. And what's, what's our theme for the missions conference? But that all should come to repentance. God desires for, for, for Phil and Debbie to come to faith. He wants them to become believers. But there's, there's a reason why they have not asked the one who can save them to take the blindfold off. And he's the only one. But I never like to preach a message like that and leave it like that. At the beginning of the chapter, it says we don't lose heart. We don't give up on this. And at the end of chapter 4, he says the same thing again. He says we don't don't just give up on this. There are some things that we can do. And that's the point that I want to share with you and try to encourage you a little bit tonight from this same passage of Scripture. Um, we can be involved, even though they're blinded, and even though it's only Jesus that can take that blindfold off and let them see the glorious light of the gospel, we can be involved in that. We can help the blinded see. We can help them see, and there's a couple things in this passage that point that out for us. If you go back and look at verse 2 of chapter 4, it says all the things that we're not doing, but what are we doing? We're we're, uh, making manifest, this is by manifestation of the truth, we're commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In essence, what it's saying here is we are living out or showing the truth. We're letting people see that this is truth. Phil and Debbie knew that by being with us and living in our house, and we were showing them the truth by living it out. And you're not going to do it by throwing a little proof text every once in a while. Sure, we share the gospel with people. Sure, we use certain texts when we're doing that. But we need to be living out, making manifest the truth of God's word. And then it speaks to their conscience, is what he's saying in this, in this verse. If we claim to be Christians, 
And all we do is invite people to church and invite them to church and invite them to church and at the same time live a lifestyle that is in contradiction to what they think should be right. Yeah, it's like, man, the expectations that people have of Christians, they think we're supposed to be perfect. Mm, Probably so. But how far off of the perfect mark are you? Okay, And how much of that is just excuses? We need to make sure we're not just making excuses. We're living out the truth of God's word in our lives. We cannot do that on our own. We have to depend on the Spirit of God. But let's just stop making excuses. Let's show the truth. Let's show the truth in our lives. Let's let's be moral people. Let's be people who stand up for truth. Let's be people who are not just saying that we love people who are down and out. But let's live like we're not condemning them. Okay? Let's live the truth. Let's show it. Okay? The second thing we can do to help the blinded see is in verse 5. Verse 5 says... We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. How much do you talk about Jesus? Now, we use the word preach, and I think sometimes we have in our mind that means you have to stand behind a pulpit to preach. Or the old style is you have to wave your arms around and pound on the pulpit a little bit. Otherwise, it's not really preaching. Okay? Preaching is just a declaration. But it does mean opening your mouth and saying something. We need to live the truth but we need to tell people about Jesus. The words actually have to come out of our mouths. And so, you know, sometimes it it just seems a little bit strange, and different people are going to do it different ways. I was sitting in a restaurant the other day with with my uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law, and they have a habit that whenever they're prompted by the Spirit of God, they'll talk to someone in the restaurant, the waiter or whoever, and they'll say, has anyone told you today that Jesus loves you? That's the way they like to start a conversation. Well, to me that seems a little bit awkward, a little bit, you know, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to work for me. I like to kind of go about it a little bit different way. But it did open the door, and we started talking about Jesus, and we had a good conversation with the waitress that day there in the restaurant. But if we never open our mouths and we never are thinking, how can we guide this conversation to something that talks about spiritual things? And then in the midst of us, those who like to be, like, take a little bit less direct approach, and, unless the Spirit of God who prompts you starts to close that door real quickly for you, for, however that works for you, and you're being guided by the Spirit, at some point you can't just talk about spiritual things. You need to talk about Jesus, okay? And so sometimes that's hard to do. But that's what Paul's saying. If we're going to shine the light, if we're going to help take the blinders off for people, we need to tell them about Jesus because he is the one who does it. We already said that. Jesus is the one who can rescue them. He's the one that takes the blindfold off. We have to talk about Jesus, Then the other thing that we see in this same passage is it has to do with uh, the light. Verse 7 says it this way. He says, we have this treasure, and verse 6 is talking about the light that shined in our hearts, and it came from God. Okay, so we have that treasure of the light in earthen vessels or clay pots or, like all of us, we have our flaws, We think about how precious the gospel is, and we might think we need this golden, bejeweled container for that, and God has chosen to use you and me. And I'm not perfect. And so the reason why it's that way is because people aren't then looking at us and thinking we're something. If we're presenting it right, if we're letting the light shine through us, they say, okay, you're not perfect, but there's still something about you. It's a real challenge for us in China because where we are there, people look at us and they think, oh, it's because you're an American that you do all of these things. And we have to quickly tell them, no, not all Americans are like us. Oh, you're just really good people. 
And over and over and over again we tell them, no, it's, it's not us, it's God. I would not be like this. I wouldn't try to help people if it wasn't for God doing something in my life. This is God accomplishing something here for you to see. And so we have to keep in mind and we have to keep letting them see who we are. And there's that delicate balance between living the truth and trying to be as close to the standard to where they're not looking at us and saying, you hypocrite. But at the same time, we have to be human enough as the, as the earthen vessel for them to be able to see, okay, there's something about you. I, I know you're just another person. You're, you're like me, but there's something different about you. And then they put that all together. And how do we do that? It's kind of like with the blindfold. If you, if you think about someone being taken captive and they, take them and they, they put them in that dark room and they don't let them see anything, and you're, you're kind of captured in that place, and nobody, nobody knows where they are when they're held captive like that because the captor doesn't want you to see. They cover up your eyes and they put you in a dark room and it's, you're lost, you're disoriented, you don't know what's going on. And that's exactly how people who have not received Jesus as their Savior in a spiritual sense, that's exactly where they are. Just lost. And maybe captive and, and maybe even forget that they're captive or never know that they're captive. And they're stuck with this blindfold on in a dark, dark place. And especially where we are in China, especially where we are in Ashi villages, it's very dark. There are weird spiritual things that go on in places like that. People hearing voices, etc., etc. What happens is, if you have this blindfold on, and if you're brought into a place where there's a lot more light, you start to realize there's something else going on. Maybe slight images passing in front of you or peeking down at the bottom of your blindfold. You say, hey... I'm not in the same dark place or something going on. And what does it do? It begins to develop a desire to get the blindfold off when maybe you've given up on it. There's something that I need to see, and I could see it if I just had the blindfold off because there's light around you. If we shine God's light to those people around us, we can be involved in them calling out to the one who can take the blindfold off for them and change them for eternity. I haven't given up on Phil and Debbie yet. I honestly believe that God, can still, that God wants to still save them and that they haven't committed some unpardonable sin to where they can't be saved. I have to continue to be close enough to them. Even though they don't live in my house, I have to spend enough time with them to where they continue to see God's light, where they continue to see truth lived out in my life, where they continue to hear me talk to them about Jesus. The people that God has placed into your lives, whether it's family, whether it's co-workers, they need you to share the truth. They need you to show Jesus to them. They need you to be the light. And we can't give up. And we must trust Jesus to take their blindfolds off so that they have hope for eternity. Let's keep praying. Let's keep sharing. And let's trust God to do his work of shining his light through us. Thank you. Wow, what an encouraging message, challenge, I think, for all of us in our uh, walk with Christ. When we think about it, it's a, obviously a challenge to evangelism, personal evangelism. And Brother Jerry and uh, his family and his ministry are going to great lengths to share that message of Jesus with the uh, Ashi people. Uh, so much so that He's learned the Mandarin language Chinese. He's 
trying to, if, you know, probably continually trying to learn this Ashi language, to share the hope, share the good news of Christ. And yet, there's hundreds, thousands of people all around us here in Bologna and in our state of Arkansas, around the nation, that uh, there's no language barrier. The only thing that keeps us from sharing the gospel with those people is our own fears, whether it's fear of rejection, uh, fear that uh, they'll make fun of us, or even apathy. So what's keeping you from, from sharing Jesus? What's keeping you from walking out of these doors and encountering people? And, and as you encounter people, using those divine appointments, those relationships that you have, that God has given to all of us, and we have a stewardship of those relationships, what keeps you from sharing Jesus Christ with those? Perhaps you know someone very close to you. Maybe it's a family member or neighbor that you need to pray about today. Maybe they're spiritually blinded right now. And maybe you've shared with them. Maybe, maybe you've shared with them so many times that you want to give up. But like Brother Jerry said, they're, they're just blinded. And you can't remove the blindfold. I can't remove the blindfold. They can't even remove the blindfold. But it does take sharing the light And Jesus is the light of the world, sharing the light of the gospel that penetrates the darkness, penetrates the the heart of lost man for them to cry out in repentance and for for God to redeem them and and give them the light and eternal life. And that message is to go out to all, all people. And we are all to be involved in sharing that message. None of us has any excuse not to follow the commission that that Jesus has given to his disciples, and we are his disciples' church. And we're going to have a time of uh, response to the message. Brother Dan's going to be here as the musicians come forward. And it could be a time of reflection. It could be a time of uh, repentance, confession to the Lord, of something that you're not doing in your life. Perhaps you know someone.